Welcome back to the Carnivore Yogi Podcast. Today's episode is with Dr. Laszlo Boros, and we are going to talk about how drinking too much water and how eating foods out of season are causing you to rapidly age, aka deuterium. And what the heck is deuterium? Why do you need to know about it? Again, this is something that is causing people rapid aging. Our bodies are full of deuterium. It is in all processed foods in high amounts, especially any GMO or glyphosate food is full of deuterium. So what the heck is it? <laughs> we are going to dive into that. Dr. Laszlo Boros is the world's leading expert on deuterium, has spearheaded over 700 different studies on deuterium, and he actually sent me a pretty cool study about feeding chickens deuterium depleted water and creating a deuterium depleted egg yolk while I was in between the recording and the release of this podcast. So he is just a really wonderful person. There is a lot of dense scientific information in this podcast as well. So I will definitely encourage you to utilize the timestamps, which are down in the show notes for you. That will have all the different topics you can jump around, navigate through, go back, listen, and just help you get through the episode. Again, there's a lot of science in here. I've also created a little mini deuterium course that I'm really passionate about because looking at my health through the lens of deuterium depletion was instrumental in helping me to achieve pregnancy at age 42 after IVF had failed for me. So I believe this topic is again, very, very, very important. Again, it's a, it's a scientific topic, so it can be a little confusing, but once you kind of start to understand it, you're going to have so many aha moments. So thank you again for listening. Please share this episode. Please leave me a review over on Apple or Spotify to help get it out to more people. And a quick little thank you to today's sponsors. The first one is Optimal Carnivore. Their organ meat complex has been an instrumental part of my preconception journey as well as my conception journey. I will definitely be using their supplements after giving birth as well. The beef liver, the brain nourish, the organ meat complex. You can use my code carnivore uppercase Y to save on any of those organ meat supplements over on Amazon. There's a link down in the show notes that you can use. Second sponsor of today's episode is Upgraded Formulas. Now, a lot of people that do do a deuterium depleted diet do end up with a mineral imbalance. Not always, but knowing that you have a mineral imbalance can be verified with a hair tissue mineral analysis and getting a consultation is going to give you the direction that you need in order to fix that. So check out upgraded formulas, use my code Yogi or Yogi 12 to save on anything over on their website. And the link will be down in the show notes. All right. Enjoy this episode. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for coming back and tuning into today's episode. We have a real treat today. We have Dr. Laszlo Boros with us. He is a retired professor of pediatrics at the University of California in UCLA, School of Medicine, co-director of the Stable Isotope Research Laboratory. And he has probably authored and spearheaded over 700 different studies on deuterium. He's also an internationally recognized expert on metabolic water biochemistry. So Dr. Boros, thank you so much for being here today. Well, thank you for inviting me and uh, uh, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Of course. And it's 
Deuteronomics. I have, I have always messed up that word, but that is really your specialty, correct? Yeah, this is a, a scientific field. And in fact, it's a college course now in Amsterdam, in Europe, in, uh, in the oh. European universities. Now we teach deuteronomics as a, like genomics or any other field. And um, it's a four credit course work now. Uh, and it, you can use it uh, for your doctoral degree or thesis. So it's, it's, it became a, the first we started at UCLA as uh, uh, special lectures and seminars. Uh, and then we moved this to the college education and credit level. So now you can actually earn four educational credits if you take the deuteronomics class uh, at the Rye University and the Amsterdam Medical School. And uh, it's a transferable credit. So you can transfer this credit um, um, in Europe uh, among universities that you attend. But yes, indeed, it's called deuteronomics. Yes. Wonderful. And this, so this is something that, you know, people that are in the medical field are starting to study more of, or is it just more people that are interested in science period, what would you say are the, the type of people that are taking this course? Well, we do have uh, a course for medical students and we do have uh, a course for agricultural students. That means uh, they, they are involved in biology one way or another. And there are about 32 talks and presentations. The course the course costs about 700 euros, which you can purchase through the uh, Rye University. And uh, on my website, you can reach information about this course, but it's for medical students and agricultural students. Um, and uh, we teach this also for doctors or doctor, doctoral candidates, PhD students. And you can actually join it for your master course and for your um, after graduate course. So it's, it's, it's practically useful in, in, in all fields of biology in general. Wonderful. And you have a background also in gastroenterology as well as pancreatology, correct? Um, how did you get I, interested in, in deuterium from those, those types of backgrounds that you had previously? Yeah, so I'm, I'm a medical doctor by education and, and training. Uh, I'm not a clinician, though. I, I do have a research and, and a teaching background. Um, and I have been involved in clinical research, but not clinical work. And uh, I'm mostly um, practicing like what is called tracer-based metabolomics. That means we use a glucose molecule that is labeled with a stabilized dope of carbon and we trace the carbons in metabolism and we kind of interpret the biochemical reaction architectures based on carbon labeling. And we can do this also with deuterium, which is the heavy, like bigger brother of the hydrogen or protons. And uh, uh, because they weigh or they have a different mass, they are heavier about twice as heavy as, as protons, very close to that. And uh, they can be measured 
uh, followed and traced by mass spectrometers. So this is what we have been using at UCLA. And I was uh, working with uh, various investigators. Dr. Pauli was my mentor at UCLA, just practically interpreting all kinds of biochemical scenarios that are related to disease and health. And uh, then we actually transferred the, the course based on uh, University of California faculties, research and lectures. Uh, the lead topic or the lead talk is introduced by Dr. Judith Plinman, who is at uh, UC Berkeley. And she studied uh, deuterium isotope effects for a very long time um, in her laboratories. And now we gave it a translational or a clinical edge of all the deuteronomics or deuterium research. So it's, um, it's becoming part of medicine, uh, diagnostics and therapeutics. And uh, I think that the best is yet to come simply because there's so many new developments in the field. That's why we call it deuteronomics because there's so many information and data coming in that it deserved its own name, and uh, simply the effect of deuterium in the living system is so important, both from the functional and from the structural points of view that, that practically we just had to devote a separate, a devoted field to deuterium kinetic isotope effects. And I think this, is, this has just started and we're gonna see many more new interesting developments. Yeah, it seems like it's kind of exploded on in the biohacking world in the last couple of years. Um, there's a lot of people talking about it, a lot of people trying it, but I don't know if there's, you know, a lot of uh, scientists that are kind of intervening. I think it's a lot of people experimenting on this side, but I know you've been involved in some trials of actually seeing people with uh, medical issues with cancer and, and seeing them treated uh, doing a deuterium depletion, correct? Uh, that's right. I do work with a number of physicians who apply this technology in their practice. The research started uh, in the late 80s, 1980s, early 1990s um, with deuterium depleted water research and science, uh, there have been very important critical basic scientific studies uh, to show how deuterium or deuteronomics would influence the rate of proliferation of, for example, tumor cells. And that goes back to Dr. Gabor Shomir's work. And he's a scientist who has been involved in oncology in the first place. And uh, he was using deuterium depleted water um, to treat cancer. Uh, there were lead studies that he based his research on or his arguments uh, very successfully. And, and they have published a number of papers before I joined the field. Um, I was uh, using our tracer-based technologies. And this is when kind of I, uh, join their efforts simply to position it in the clinic. Um, and I think this, is, this was a very critical contribution uh, to be able to determine that actually your mitochondria 
or the matrix of your mitochondria produces this lutein depleted water. And you can use it as a outside source as drinking water or potable water uh, to help your body to deplete deuterium while it is producing matrix water or metabolic water, if you will. And uh, <clears throat> so you can therapeutically, you can, you, can, you can use this knowledge and also this combined um, understanding of mitochondrial functions for metabolic water production and ATP energy production to use it for, for, for clinical uh, applications. And for that matter, this is really truly uh, a very important new development um, as being able to medically position deuterium depletion and deuterium depleted water, both from food and also through water or nutrients in general, because eventually the reason why we take in oxygen is to produce this water from hydrogen that comes from food. And this process takes place in the mitochondria. And uh, we are exploring this basic fundamental knowledge in many different aspects of medicine, including diagnostics and therapeutics. And I do work mostly uh, with doctors who apply this in the natural paddock or natural kind of uh, integrative medicine, field of medicine. Um, you may want to go and explore uh, Dr. Petra Dorsman, Devlar's work. She has been applying this deuterium depletion and deuterium depleting methodologies for, for quite a long time uh, based on clinical scenarios. So, and, but we also had other doctors and other um, uh, experimenters who have been uh, using this technology and also the knowledge. Um, now there are a growing number of companies who supply both uh, water and food for therapeutic purposes, but yes, indeed, it's, 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 a, it's getting bigger. Absolutely. And, you know, just for my lay person that's listening, we've taught, you talked about the mitochondria, you talked about deuterium. Um, how does, in just kind of simple terms, deuterium affect the mitochondria? I know a lot of people are familiar with the concept that, you know, as we get older, you know, after, after we get about past the age of 25, our mitochondrial function does slow down. We start to see some signs of aging and it continues on as we get older. So how does deuterium come into play in that process with the mitochondria? Yeah. So, um, as we talked about, um, in, in short, terms, mitochondria are responsible for uh, moving certain proteins and, and applying moving parts in the kind of realm of, 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 of life to support it. And uh, these are nanomotors that are powered by protons or hydrogens, the little brother of deuterium, if you will. And uh, these are the mitochondria is a specialized organ in the cell that actually I can separate protons and electrons and for that matter, deuterons. So 
uh, hydrogens or proton. Life is, is, is practically to recycle protons through water, carbons, and oxygen. And you need energy to break the oxygen-hydrogen bond and synthesize organic molecules. And then you oxidize or you burn these organic molecules, which is like, you know, those are in food. You generate water again. And uh, in the meantime, proton is moved by these delicate machines in the mitochondria. We call them nanomotor or ATP synthase or complex five. There are various names uh, for these. But the bottom line is that protons have to fit in these nanomotors to give them a charge and start rotating. Then they actually rotate at like really breathtaking speed, some 12 to 50,000 rotations per minute if you talk about bacterial nanomotors, but uh, the flag, flag flagellize, they spin 100,000 rotations per minute. So these are very delicate, yet very powerful tools in biology to move or provide the tools, how cells are able to generate energy and move along. And for that matter, um, protons are very critical to drive biology and life um, and produce the energy that can be processed in biological systems called ATP. This phosphate is a, a good source of energy for all, all kinds of, for all kinds of uh, uh, physiological processes. Now, deuterium would not fit through this kind of sliding door or would not fit through these nanomotors or would not fit through these uh, very specialized little machines because deuterons are actually much larger uh, from the chemistry point of view. It's double in size uh, or weight if you look at the entire um, deuterium, which is the nucleus and the electron cloud around it, or the electron that spins around it, but it's, it, it is actually uh, in chemical bondings or chemical bonds, it is actually eight to 15 times stronger to bind. So it's, it's really not easy to remove it from from nanomotors and so on. So they, they deliver quite a, a, a significant damage in mitochondria in the nanomotor system if they get in one way or another and mostly they get into the food. So um, because of these very delicate protein structures in our mitochondria, um, deuterium behaves more like a bull in a, in a china shop. It, it practically destroys um, all moving parts and, and hydrogen-based or proton-based chemical bonds. Um, on the other hand, um, and this is the new development of deuteronomics, deuterium is necessary to support structures. Um, for example, collagen of, of, of bone or connective tissues. And for that matter, and this is a new study from the Karolinska Institute by Dr. Zuberev, um, who is a um, 
very alert and very prominent um, scientists in the field of deuteronomics, they measured um, collagen uh, lutein concentrations about 320 parts per million. And so they did in Pellegrin uh, falcons that dive down at 360 kilometers, hour, kilometers per hour in air and, and the bone collagen of the gray seal also has very high between levels, but we know these animals are challenged in their lifetime simply because they need very strong bones to perform all the activities that they do. But it seems that Dutium can structurally contribute to, to tissue um, durability and flexibility in the meantime, but in the mitochondria, it is really not required uh, because of these very delicate nanomotors. So as we talk about deuterium as part of the food or the water or the, the nutrients scenarios, um, we need to stay at the natural low levels to be able to supply the very specific necessities in the cells, which require very little amounts of deuterium, but leave the nanomotors intact, meaning that the body can do its own kind of deuterium slapping or shot, you know, practically distributing or discriminating and fractionating it. Uh, among various organs and proteins and peptides and amino acids. And two of those amino acids that in collagen uh, are proline and hydroxyproline, we didn't find, or Dr. Zubarev, they didn't find deuterium accumulation in any other molecules. So it seems that deuterium has a very specific role at very specific place, mostly in connective tissues. Ah, okay. And those tissues lose their own ability to produce energy because they're mitochondria. We are talking about cartilages. We are talking about bones, tissues with minerals and, and proteins connected by proteins. So they are not really moving parts. They are flexible, but really they are not moving or producing energy. And every other cell, uh, for example, liver cells, muscle cells, they are actively produce ATP, producing, they are actively producing ATP. They, have to be spared or they have to be protected from the effects of deuterium. So practically, this is just to sum it up, um, like in a biochemical approach, yet um, we need to understand that deuterium at natural abundance and with small variations around it can have major impact in physiology and biochemistry. Got it. And you mentioned that people are getting a lot of deuterium from food, correct? And That's right. The food source nowadays, GMO, like industrial seed. junk, uh, you know, you, you name it. Um, seed oils, yeah. Yeah. I just, the list is is endless of, you know, really, we, we can only... I would say at this point, the best is just to stay with natural food mm -hmm. sources, supplies, and natural, you know, products of animal 
uh, meat and interior organs and so on that are grass fed, meaning that they live in their natural habitat and they live um, with their peers, uh, with their own species around, meaning that they are just naturally capped and can deplete lithium, so they are not sick themselves. We just published a paper in Metabolomics, which is a very prominent uh, journal in the field of metabolism that how different animals or cows are when they are grain fed or artificially fed in the farming environment or when they are grass fed in their natural habitats. And uh, every product that we eat eventually will become part of what we are and who we are. So we need to kind of change this uh, scenario. We are what we eat as, as, as practically we are what we eat and what we can discriminate as far as protons and deuterium for various and very specialized biological, biochemical and medical um, mechanisms, meaning that uh, we really have to be aware of this and we have to be careful of what we eat and how much we eat and when we eat. And uh, what we eat is what's the source of it. Right. So people should really be cautious about where their food is sourced, understand the farm that the animals were raised on, make sure that they're, you know, if they're eating produce, that it is not sprayed with a bunch of glyphosate, GMO grown. Fruit also has quite a bit of deuterium in it. Is that is that correct? Like bananas and and things like that. Yeah, but we need to understand. Yes, you're you're right. Correct. Uh, fruits are not food. We call them functional food because they are only available. And given particular fruit is only available for a short period of time. Yes, seasonal. They're, they're they are seasonal, and they. Their purpose is to propagate the tree that has the seeds in them. So usually uh, fruits are loaded with deuterium for the microbiome to kind of dwell on it and eventually to release the seeds in the form of fertilizer. And this is why I would get a diarrhea if I read certain type of fruits because I'm really not used to it or, mm. or I'm not I, I only eat fruits seasonally yes uh, when they are available in the season and very limited amounts of it because in nature yes. we would not get to fruits very easily because we would be competing with animals uh, in the fauna in the same environment and we are carnivores so humans are carnivores in that in looking at their metabolic imprints and and all other physiological characteristics so um fruits are not for us um it is very limited it has very limited um kind of nutritional values um they have very limited nutritional values and so we, we need to be careful how much and when we eat fruits. I agree. I've always said that people that say you should eat a lot of fruit have a very poor understanding of deuterium <laughs> and that if you are going to eat it, it has to be seasonal in a small amount because in the, in the higher UV, um, our body has a little bit of a better ability to deplete deuterium. Is that correct? Yeah. So um, you need to your body is constantly controlling and redistributing 
deuterium for where it's needed for connective tissues and the remodeling of connective tissues. And you, we don't need much of that. Mm. Everything above that will end up as a surplus um, in our system um, that our biochemical mechanisms have to get rid of or have to discriminate or have to uh, sequestrate or, or have to compartmentalize one way or another. And this, this is the challenge for our body to constantly shovel deuterium off of protons and, and not to let them get into the mitochondrial matrix and deliver damage to mitochondria. And our systems, our cells are, are very smart, very sophisticated in depleting deuterium, especially the, the matrix using these nanomotors. And also our gut microbiome, our bacteria, our cell wall, cell wall transfer processes, uh, proton transfers and substrate transfers, they are all very keen on depleting and controlling deuterium or shoveling or distributing it to very specific um, biochem set of biochemical reactions. So for that matter, and, and, and this is very true, we have to follow our ancient instinct of really what our ancestors were, were, were eating and, and were able to live without, you know, significant or devastating chronic, like degenerated diseases uh, until like a long age. And, you know, even if you look around, there are still species and there are individual animals that live for a very long times over 100, 200 years. If you look at a Galapagos turtle, they live 300 years and so on, or at least 200 years. Uh, that means they, they are stuck with their ancient food source and, and they don't have artificial feeding compared to cows that are farm raised. Um, mm -hmm. They live the most five years. Right. So it and they are vague and they are terminally ill. Sick. Yeah. Metabolically, we just reviewed that. And uh, for for that matter, I I think um, deuteronomics is going to address all these scenarios, uh, and it's just a matter of time because of the population diseases and epidemiology epidemiology of many chronic, devastating, debilitating degenerated diseases, cancer, diabetes, obesity, you name it, practically it's just, uh, it's just a disaster that's happening to human societies nowadays. And it's based on food. I agree. Yeah, there's a lot of people that follow me because I healed a lot of problems that I had chronically, eczema and IBS and just joint pain and inflammation at a young age by just going on a carnivore diet <laughs> and really just eating meat and fat for a couple of years straight. That's all I ate. I did not have one cheat and felt better than I had in my entire life. And there's a lot of people now that are very interested in eating a, a carnivore diet, eating a lot of fat. I think you have to eat the fat. You can't be afraid of it and just eat the high protein, you know, the bone marrow and the, the, the suet and the, the really good parts of the animal. 
Um, and people are, it's, they're seeing all kinds of amazing things uh, take place with their health. Um, so a lot of people that listen to this episode are definitely clued into that, but I still have some of those people that um, are still having health issues. They're still having metabolic issues and some of them are struggling. Do you think that's due to uh, perhaps some of the, the water that they're drinking or the animals that they're eating may not be the highest quality? What, what would your thoughts on that be? Well, uh, yeah, we need to kind of think it over in a very simple way. You are born to this planet in ketosis. Yes. Um, and you wake up every morning in ketosis. That's, that's your, you, you burn fat uh, to supply your energy and water needs. Yes. And uh, when you are able to deplete deuterium below a certain set point, that's when you wake up. That, if you measure your, your beta hydroxybutyrate in the morning, it's always elevated. And that's the same in babies as mm-hmm. they are born, simply because ketosis or the ketogenic kind of metabolism is our natural kind of metabolic profile. And uh, <clears throat> we, we can't change that. And we shouldn't, uh, just like all other species. Um, if you look at birds that eat lots of fruits, they actually don't digest them. They mm. propagate the seeds by simply um, releasing those uh, sugary and carbohydrate rich and deuterium rich. Deuterium is practically for bacterial growth and prokaryote um, uh, propagation. Now, as, as you said, um, some people still have problems simply because if they get to a fat source, it's, it's not just that you, you switch to a fatty or, if you look at the anthropology of eating bone marrow, we can go back mm-hmm. to almost 4 million years yeah. because in Ethiopia, that's where they found the first schools and big bones opened by, by tools uh, in, in, in um, la- large animals. So the prehistoric man learned how to open up the school of these big, huge plant-eating animals and eat the bone marrow out of their brain, meaning that from their school. So they've been in ketosis and they've been eating a ketogenic diet for millions of years. Yes. And uh, there's actually, there are actually good, but I'm talking about these scenarios because there are publications about these. So I, on my Facebook and also my other various uh, platforms, I, I kind of show this data uh, for these are good readings and interesting readings, but practically we have been eating bone marrow for millions of years. Uh, at, at least it was part of our diet. If you look at historic writings like uh, the Old Testaments, the most valuable food source was the, the joint bone of mm. the animal cows. Actually, the old Jewish kings, they paid gold. For this part wow. of the animal, so that that was that was the most expensive and the most valuable part of any. It was not the meat, or it was not the right. which was surprising to me as well. And it was surprising. That's why we are going back now to ancient 
literature and and Old Testamental uh, correspondence simply because it seems that Deuteronomics goes back yes. as old as like mankind or, or humanity as uh, we find very interesting chemical symbols on the Tatarlaka disk, which is seven and a half thousand years old. Um, they have been uh, propagating this type of, of symbolism, at least in uh, the old writing textures, and, and then it was transferred to our Iranian, um, Hebrew, and, and uh, other ancient languages. But practically, this knowledge, the fifth book of Moses is called Deuteronomy, yes. um, and which is, I, I think, and the Old Testament starts with fractionating protons from deuterium by the spirit of God hovering over the waters, which is the physical phenomenon, how you separate protons from, from deuterons. So from the scientific point of view, you can apply this knowledge both in a kind of horizontal and also in a historic and, and uh, in a, like many different ways to explore its roots in, in human culture and, and uh, religions and their nutritional habits. And this is why fasting, religious fasting, um, around the Yom Kippur, Jews have to fast, but they can't drink water with it. So it's really truly pushing you into ketosis, into deuterium depleted, if you approach this from the biochemist point of view. Um, it's everywhere practically, we just have not explored them enough. Yeah. So I think eventually this is how these dots are connected nowadays. Yeah, I've always loved listening to you on different talks, talking about how in the Bible, there's several references and mentions of uh, deuterium. It's fascinating to think that they, we've known about this for you know, so long, yet now it just seems in the last few years that people are really interested in, in looking how, at how it affects our health and our longevity and, you know, especially the mitochondria, which is all, all the above. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah. So you would say that if someone was doing a diet that was more carnivore, that's not necessarily enough to deplete the deuterium. They would want to be basically eating bone marrow, right? <laughs> Just eating the fat that would be a little bit more deuterium depletion friendly. Yeah. It's more like grass fed animal source and follow yeah. the ancient nutritional protocols it means that you eat the hind steaks and you know the more fatty parts of that yes. not everything is kosher which surprised me very much the sirloin and these very fancy meat products of the cow they may not necessarily be kosher but actually the fat part the fat fatty meaty part of the grass-fed uh, animal is what what is kosher. They have very specific butchering technology, meaning that they let the blood out, uh, which has deuterium, especially the blood cells, and they don't eat those. Mm. They use various uh, preparation, food preparation methods, especially if we go back to ancient times. That's uh, practically like sourdough, and the source of um, of even carbohydrates or 
like uh, glycogenic uh, substrates are also low in deuterium simply because of bacterial fermentation. Uh, and this is how most ancient food was prepared. So it's really an interesting and a very critical understanding from the historic and anthropology point of view, how we deal with deuterium depletion uh, in our personal life, how much we understand of it, and what is the source of reliable low deuterium uh, animal products. And this is what practically interiors and the hind say the fatty type of, of, of meat source of, of animals would accomplish for us. And as long as you eat that, um, <clears throat> and as you said, you become kind of, you just forget about doctors for that right. matter. I mean, yeah. absolutely. Uh, <clears throat> it's funny enough, uh, I've been paying for health insurance I just, I, I will, I, I'm going to go and do something. I'm going to get an eye because I just want to see where there is. But I, I really don't see doctors that, well, unless I shave and look in a mirror, but I, I just, <laughs> I, I really don't, you know, lucky or not, but, but practically I just, I lost my twin to cancer in 2006. And oh, wow. uh, <clears throat> they also, found bad esophagus <clears throat> and uh, a few years later they found a a uh, some kind of a tumor in one of my chest bones it was I think 12 years ago uh, but I I really don't pay like such a big deal or or attention to this scenario because I know what to do and you know I just eat a very simple diet in the sense I eat once a day uh, like a main course in that sense I take a, a few nibbles of let's say occasionally some bacon or seasonal foods if they are available and they, uh, they appeal to me uh, <clears throat> but other than that I try to stay with a strict uh, grass-fed source um, um, animal interiors and and ketogenic uh, diet without carbohydrates and without um, additives and without industrial processing. I eat my steaks rare, um, meaning that I don't have them overcooked. I I like the taste of liver and so on. I like the taste of bacon. And, you know, in the ketogenic diet or the ketogenic cuisine, you can find there are now so many really delicious, good-looking, appealing food products. I think it's really worth to explore for your health and your well-being. I, I never felt, I'm 60 years old, um, I never felt better. I mean, beyond, and it, it, it's, it's five years in working ever since like a, more strict ketogenic diet with like a grass-fed fat source and, and meat source. But I, I wish I, I started earlier, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's one of those things once you do it and you've done it for a while, I mean, it's, you just kind of don't want to go back. <laughs> it, it makes you feel so good. Um, and I've heard you say on different interviews that you're, you, don't, you don't drink a lot of water. Is that correct? 
I only drink water when I'm thirsty and I only drink water as much as necessary to kill my thirst. But if I'm thirsty, I wait a few minutes. Let's see if it goes away. And yeah. uh, the reason for that is you have an antidiuretic hormone. I, I personally think that, and this is not a medical advice, um, I personally think that um, water drinking is very dangerous because of the deuterium that it carries potentially, um, and, and also antidiuretic hormone or vasopressin is, is, is very critical for your well-being and to regulate these nanomotor functions. And also metabolic water is so precious that I don't want to kind of, you know, waste it away simply. I think if you eat enough fat, uh, then you can actually go without water. And this is most of the species do, especially animals in the desert. And uh, <clears throat> truly, I think after all, this is just part of deuterium depletion and the ketogenic lifestyle. And yeah, there are, if I don't have to kind of exercise or workouts, I don't exercise or work, I do 30 push-ups every morning. That's practically what I do. Um, walk the dog. That's 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 it. But other than that, um, if I don't have to work outside, meaning that and it's not too hot, I don't sweat, then I can go one or two days without drinking water. I think the most, the longest, it was a four days. But I had to. I ate fat. I ate the. Uh, pork crackers, you know, the skin crackers, mm -hmm. uh, some bacon chips. I, what I do, I fry bacon, get the fat out and just eat the rest of it as, as chips. Um, and if I'm thirsty, I take a spoonful of fat. And, you know, it's, it's just, it tastes just as good as water, um, meaning that it's really feels like drinking water after all. And there's not much difference between water and fat. Hydrogen is carried either by oxygen or carbons. But the, the, the main goal is to harvest these hydrogens and, and to use them for nanomotor functions. And truly, as, as you said, it, it, many different and various life cycles and processes um, come back. Uh, <clears throat> fertility is one of the issues that we, we see changing by deuterium depletion, and now we start understanding the process better. Um, um, cycles, menstrual cycles, returning to normal. So, um, and even though I don't have those, I can tell by my general functions and my able ability to focus on things and kind of comprehend things and use my uh, mind and my academic knowledge to write papers and keep discussions in a focused way. I don't have to have much efforts nowadays to, to accomplish all these or give lectures or talks and so on, which I do very often because I, 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 I like to have this information updated time to time. And there's always some new things to talk about. Um, and 
I, I love educating in the sense that uh, people w would understand or at least just to get a, a, a glimpse of, of the importance of it. So after all, it made a big difference in my life and I hope it does the same for others. Absolutely. I'm, I'm really passionate about trying to spread the message about it a little bit more and just help people understand it on a little bit more of a basic level. And I want to jump back to uh, the water thing for a second before we talk a little bit more about health. Um, my listeners have heard me talk about this, but my dog, we took her to the vet, I guess in February, and she had elevated liver enzymes and she's only eight. And so I have kind of let my husband be in charge of her. So I told him, I said, I'm going to be in charge now <laughs> and started feeding her. We transitioned her over to a raw carnivore diet. And one of the first things that my husband was worried about was that she stopped drinking bowls and bowls of water because she would drink three bowls of water per day. And now the bowl of water just sits there. And he's like, what's, is she sick? Is, is something wrong? And I'm like, no, she, <laughs> she doesn't need it. She's an animal. You know, humans, we overthink the water. We, we need to have eight glasses and we need to have this specific amount of water per day as an animal. You know, now that she's eating mostly just fat and organs and meat, uh, she's, and it's from an, a, you know, grass fed, well, sustainable farm. She's just not interested in the water. And so I think that's something that we can kind of take a clue from uh, when it comes what to kind of dog is, is, is your dog? She's a, she's a Lagoto Romagnolo. No one's ever heard of it. Uh, it's kind of the grandfather of the golden retriever and the poodle. It's an Italian water dog. I see. Uh, we do have a German shepherd and she rarely ever drinks water. Yeah. We, yeah, we feed her with, um, and her ball is out there for days without yeah, exactly. touching it. Yeah. And it's, it's very important because I think if you direct somebody to drink water without thirst or being thirsty, you actually drive that person into the dipsynogen yes. form of diabetes insipidus, meaning that they're, um, ADH or antidiuretic hormone level will be suppressed or hormone release will be suppressed. And it's really not just simply telling people to drink because obviously your body has your senses to signal if you need anything from outside, anything from your environment. And, and water is, is one of the riskiest businesses. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think after all, uh, this would be the first major overhaul of, of medicine if glutenomics really kicks in, is just to simply to, to, to name those proton sources that are safe, uh, that are sufficient, and that are actually required by your system, by your body, by your cells to run a healthy course. Um, drinking water, just simply because it's available. Uh, it's like uh, really not founded. You know, it's like telling somebody that just because you walked by a washroom, why don't you, wash you know, urinate yeah. or wash? Yeah. Or when, when, you, when you're just next to a couch, why don't you sleep two hours? Right. Uh, it's, it's really not 
biochemic it makes no sense from the biochemistry point of view it makes zero absolutely zero sense from the deuteronomics point of view and uh, i think if you experience or experiment with adopting your body to preserve water, metabolic water, the team depleted water that you produce, and you only drink when you are thirsty, I'm not saying don't drink water. No, right. that's not what I'm saying. You drink water when it's necessary. You sleep when you're tired, you eat when you're hungry, and you go to the bathroom when you need to use the bathroom. It's not just like you're ad hoc kind of guessing of like, oh, there's a bottle of water, I should drink it. No, you shouldn't. You should wait till you get thirsty and you should drink only as much as it is necessary to kill your thirst. And make sure that water is rainwater in ancient times or it's a fat product like in the Bible or it is actually deuterium depleted water that, that you can buy from various sources and it's below 125 ppm. That's what I usually tell people if they are asking me like how I drink and what I drink. Yeah, because most water is at least what, 150 parts per million typically, 155, would you say? Yeah, the oceanic water that surrounds California, it's 150. 6.7 or in that range, depending on what temperature and where you sample the water. But <clears throat> uh, tap water is, what we measured is always above 145 ppm. Mm. And the bottled water we measured, we do have a database to keep these values. The lowest we ever measured was 140 ppm, but that's mm. a glacial water from plants. Um, if if it if it is a water source from high altitude, you are better off as far as its bitume content, but nobody guarantees anything. And for that matter, um, it's just the, the best in my view is just to produce your water instead of drinking your water and you supplement, you supply extra water from the environment when it's needed and your thirst will be the guidance of that particular process. And being in a ketogenic state will help that a little, you not be as thirsty, would you say? Well, you are not going to be as thirsty if you have antidiuretic hormone. Mm -hmm. Now, how you achieve that, um, again, um, that's, that's another matter. But uh, practically, diabetes insipidus is practically drinking kind of pool of water and urinating a lot mm. um, without the interference without the presence of glucose in your urine. That's why it's called diabetes insipidus. It's, mm. it's practically sour urination because in, in medieval times, when the plenty of urine, which is called diabetes, was differentiated based, it was based on taste because ancient medieval doctors, they tasted urine. So this is where the name comes from. And uh, <clears throat> if there's a depsinogenic or there's a, polydipsic type of diabetes insipidus, and we see this in various psychiatric disorders, um, and they can lead to, to very severe and serious metabolic disbalances and abnormalities if you drink water excessively, 
which is, I think it's way out of control right now. And, and some of the population diseases, I believe, could partially be explained by excessive water drinking, which is high in nuclear. I agree. That's one of the things I talk about quite a bit is not drinking this, the, the gallon of water per day that people say that you should drink is just the worst advice <laughs> for so many reasons. I think it's terrible, terrible advice, but I always talk about it from a mineral standpoint, but I didn't really think about it so much as just the high deuterium content that you're bringing into your body. And so I think a lot of people that maybe go on a ketogenic diet that is going to be supportive in depleting deuterium. But as long as you're drinking all that water, it's not, it's not, it's not enough to be as powerful as actually getting some depleted water and drinking that, would you say? Uh, yeah, in fact, uh, this could backfire way. It's, it's, and, and this argument is practically very solid biochemical biochemistry-based argument. You produce water, about 2,000 gallons of it a day that is getting recycled in your mitochondria. You don't see this amount of water because it's not going to kind of pile up in your body. You constantly recycle this water in the mitochondria through the Sanjordi Krebs cycle, which is a set of enzymatic reactions, nine of them all together. And four of those practically does nothing but recycles and rearranges water in the mitochondrial matrix. You can also calculate how many or how, what the volume or what is the mass of protons removed based on these nanomotor rotations. We did those biochemical calculations and every, an and average person, uh, I would say 75 kilograms, no, excessive physical activities would recycle about 7.2 cubic meter of water, which is about 2.3 thousand um, liters of water each day. So uh, you, you really have to think of your system as your circulatory circulatory, that's how much blood is circulating in your body. Um, as, as a kinetic volume after all, because you can calculate it. This is about the same amount of liquid that flows through your heart each day by the pumping function. As this is very true with the biochemistry of your cells, uh, you need oxygen to link these two systems and oxygen is carried by your blood and oxygen is consumed in your mitochondria and food provides the hydrogen. And there's also protons that are recycled in the mitochondria extensively and the whole volume of, of the system operating is about 2.3 gallon, 2.3 thousand gallons a day, which is quite significant. It's very dynamic system as far as protons recycling and deuterium would actually break the system, the dynamics of it. So you, you just have to stay away from Thank you so much for listening to today's episode with Dr. Laszlo Boros. This was such a fun episode and I can't wait to release next week's episode where we talk about how to 
deplete deuterium. Now we did dive into that obviously a little bit in this episode, but next week we're going to go a little bit more in depth into that. And you can always check out my little mini deuterium course. If you are wanting more information on how to deplete deuterium yourself, if it's right for you, if it's something you need to be concerned with, and that will also be linked down in the show notes for you guys. Thanks again for listening. And as I mentioned in the beginning, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Please, please do leave me that review over on Apple or Spotify. It helps to get the show out to more people to reach them about this message of healing ourselves without using a ton of allopathic medicine as little as possible. So again, please do leave me that review. It does help to get the show out to more people. A quick little shout out to both of my sponsors, Optimal Carnivore, my go-to source for prenatal and post-conception supplementation is their organ meat complex. I also use their brain nourish product as well as their beef liver. My code carnivore uppercase Y saves you 10% and that link is down in the show notes for you guys. Second sponsor is upgraded formulas. If you are having leg cramps, muscle fatigue, weakness, sleeplessness, any of those issues, you may have a mineral imbalance. Headaches even are the result of a mineral imbalance a lot of the time. So getting a hair tissue mineral analysis with a consultation is going to be absolutely instrumental in helping you to fix these mineral imbalances. So check out upgraded formulas. Use my code Yogi or Yogi 12 to save at upgraded formulas. All right. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I'm so excited for you to hear next week's edition, and I will talk with you again soon.